favorite authors, friends, and guests explore the simpler side of life. Here's your host, Amish fiction author, Tracy Fertikowski. Welcome to another episode of Buggy Talk. Each week, I'll bring you the story behind the stories along with the storytellers. For this week's episode, we have Amish fiction author Debbie Juisty. Debbie grew up with a deep faith and love of the Lord. Her mother taught her about God's abundant mercy and unconditional love and the importance of staying close to Jesus. Good morning, Debbie. And that I just absolutely love that little part that I just read. I found that off your website and thought it was a perfect introduction to you this morning. How are you? I'm well, Tracy. Thank you so much. And aren't you sweet to look at my bio on my website and to pull something that uh, is meaningful for me. My mother was a special woman and she did give me a very deep faith, which I am always so grateful for. God is good. He certainly is. He certainly is. And, you know, we write, we were just talking before we started to record that um, we are surrounded with a group of Amish fiction authors who pretty much are Christian fiction authors. And we are so blessed to have a career or have a profession where we're surrounded by like-minded people and um, your mom did you a great justice by introducing you to God and, and his mercies when you were little, because I am assuming that you can pull some of that knowledge she taught you into each story. So I'm sure you thank her often. I do. No doubt about it. Okay. And, you know, uh, one thing, the love inspired, I write the love inspired suspense, which is an imprint of love inspired. They are the Christian books, but always that faith element. It's the hero and heroine are, are living that worldview, that Christian worldview. And although the faith runs, there is a faith arc and the faith is, is important to the story. It's not a uh, it's not a preachy book in any means. I think um, some people are turned off by the fact that some they think some Christian um, novels are heavy handed with the religion. And that's the main emphasis on the story. But it's just part of that story. But it's beautifully woven. Well, I'm not talking about mine, but all Christian fiction, right? That that Christian element, that faith element is such an important factor in the story. Um, but yet it's not heavy handed so that those who really don't have a strong faith or maybe are just coming to the Lord would still find the books, I think, enjoyable for them. And hopefully they'd learn a little something and um, perhaps come closer to the Lord because of reading it, but not in a heavy handed way again. Well, there you go. You know, um, I just launched a new series here last fall, and my particular storyline in each one of these books is on faith and how of your faith in Jesus and your faith in trusting in the Lord can see you through some very difficult situations. So my goal as a Christian fiction Amish fiction writer is maybe there will be something in that story that will touch the reader's heart and make them examine their own life or their own relationship with Jesus. So, you know, each book and each reader to its own, but as long as we are sharing God's word in whatever we write, that's um, what God asks us to do. So that can only be good, correct? 
That's right. And I always say that I write for him every year. I, I uh, go to prayer and I say, Lord, do you still want me to write? You know, I, I need to know that from him because maybe there's something else he wants me to do. But thankfully, each time he comes back and he says, no, I want you to write. You have more <laughs> stories to tell. And um, so I always feel that he is my inspiration and I'm working for him. He's my big boss. <laughs> oh, that is wonderful. That is wonderful. So him being your big boss, you just launched um, Smugglers in Amish Country and he allowed you to do that yeah and he made it happen and it just launched um the first of march somewhere around the first of march and it, again it is a love inspired book with harlequin i'm excited to talk about it love those stories that have some mystery and suspense to them so we are going to talk more in depth about smugglers in amish country here in a minute but before we do that our listeners really like to get into the lives of some of their favorite authors. And I like to really question my interviewees about their writing career. So are you ready? Yes, I am. Okay. First question. How did publishing your first book change your process of writing? Well, the first book, when you're unpublished and you don't have a contract with the publisher, you have plenty of time. You can spend months on that story and, and fine tune every single page and make sure everything is, you know, every T is crossed, I is dotted, and you're just happy with the entire work. You can also have readers, um, beta readers, we call them, read your story and give you some critiquing. So you have time, you have the luxury of time, which is wonderful. I, um, I have a little class at Church of Writers, and I say, don't, uh, don't hurry that first book, because that's a wonderful time to be able to really learn so much. And again, take your time on the story so it can be exactly where you want it to be. Then when you sell the second book, all of a sudden you have a deadline. So it's, you know, you have to have a schedule. You have to have to be at your computer a certain number of hours every day. And there's not that luxury of having lots of time. I think that's the biggest change. Well, it certainly was for me. And I think a lot of other authors feel that way as well. Some people, even before they publish their first story, will set get, uh, deadlines for themselves, hypothetical deadlines, so they can practice how to write in a certain time frame, frame and get a certain amount of words done so that when they finally do have a contract, they're already into that mindset where they understand their process and how long it takes them to, to create a book. Unfortunately, I had not done that ahead of time. So I was, um, I, I don't think I was panicked, but I was a little bit under, a little more stress with that second book than I had been with the first book. Eventually, it becomes, uh, you know, you know how much time you need, you understand the process, you know where you are, and you, I think you begin to trust yourself. Although with every book, there's always, I was telling a new writer this the other day, just like she was worried when she saw that blank page. I said, every writer, when a book, when you start a new book, you have that blank page staring at you. And it's the same way as, as when you wrote that first book, because the thoughts go through your mind. Am I going to be able to write this? Will this story come together? I think that's the, the question that comes to me often at the beginning. Am I going to be able to uh, create characters that weave together, who fall in love, who have to confront terrible odds and then, and then come out her heroic and, and victorious at the end? Am I going to be able to do, do that with these 
characters and with this story idea that I have at this point, even if I've written a synopsis and I have a good idea where the story is going, it's still a new piece, you know, and there's always that question at the beginning. So uh, it's always a unique process. Uh, it's one I love, but there is an element of question to it. And, and you know, I, d- I don't think any writer takes himself or herself too seriously because we know, you know, something could happen and maybe we could could lose the ability to create stories. Who knows? I, I don't know if that happens or not but I do know some people retire or walk away from it. Maybe, maybe they're burned out. I don't know. But for me, you know, there's still that um, thrill of it. And maybe, maybe having those beginning questions is good because it's always fresh and it's always something new and it's always a challenge. And that's, I think that's what I love about writing that challenge of being able to weave that story together. Exactly. You know, the challenge is when you have a release date set and you haven't even written the book yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's, that's, yeah. That's That's when you have to schedule your time, right? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And you really don't even know, you know, you know, the theme of the story, you know, where the story is going to set place. You might know the characters, but you really don't know what's going to come between page one and page 400 you know you have no idea you have no idea it's always a surprise once you start writing I say that writing is a spiritual journey because so often I'll have a certain idea of how the story will progress and then something comes to me and I do think it's divinely inspired that God will give me another piece of the story that fits in and often I'm you know, I'm just like, where did that come from? Oh my goodness. What are you giving me, Lord? I'm not sure how I'm going to use this in the story. And yet inevitably by the end of the story, I've used that. And it's been an important turning point or some other factor that um, was key in the story. So I feel that it is a, a spiritual journey. And again, always a challenge, always new, always fresh. And, and when the characters take on a personality oh. that you didn't see, or they say something and you think, where did that come from? You know, oh, I never, I would have I never said that. Where did that come from? But it ends up in the book or it ends up on your page. And, and that's when, that's when the characters really come to life is when stuff like that happens. Yes, definitely. And sometimes they can be quite headstrong. I'm just barely starting a new story. And I, the second chapter I had to cut, I thought, no, that is not my heroine, but I don't, I'm not quite there knowing her yet. She has some other facets that I, you know, I have to write a bit more of that kind of rough first draft, um, the first few chapters to get a feel for her and know there's something she's hiding from me right now. That I yeah, but you don't know what it is. <laughs> not yet. Not you're, yet. You're, you're just as intrigued as the readers are to figure out what, what their mystery is, right? That's right. Definitely. Right, yes. Right. So tell us, Debbie, what is the best money you've ever spent as a writer? And a lot of people um, get a big library of resource books, and I do have quite a few of my own. But I am better one-on-one or in-person. I love people. I'm one of the few writers who is an extrovert. So I I love to meet readers. I love to meet other writers. And I found that conferences were a great way for me to learn in the beginning to learn my craft and then to hone my craft later on. And, you know, as writers, we always learn. It never stops. So we're always in this process of trying to get become a better writer and strengthen our ability to write and create stories. And conferences were a way when there's so many workshops, different 
big speakers often would come in some of the national conferences, bring in screenwriters from Hollywood. And there's something you can learn from screenwriting. You know, it's very, very, it's all the dialogue. So you can really hone your, your skills with your dialogue during that time. Uh, I always learn so much. It's also being surrounded by, as you, as we talked about earlier, those, that support group of Christian authors being with those friends that we chat with online throughout the year, but then at conferences get to come together and uh, spend special time together, which is wonderful. It's also meeting our publisher and our editors, our agents, they'll be there. And then other publishing houses and getting to know those editors. You're kind of on the cusp of what's new when you go to the conferences. I found that was very stimulating for me and always beneficial. I came home excited again to get back to my writing with new ideas and kind of fresh approaches to some of the things that um, maybe I needed to tweak a little bit. So um, for me, the money was well spent. For if there's anybody in your audience who is thinking about a writing career, there are regional conferences, which are powerhouses of information as well here in the Atlanta area where I live. We have a wonderful one, Georgia Romance Writers, and that's where I started off. Actually, I learned uh, I learned the ins and outs of writing through that organization and the different classes I went to and the different conferences. So you don't have to go far. You don't have to spend a lot of money um, to be able to be exposed to some of the, the good programs, good workshops that will really boost your career and help you on your writing journey. So for me, it was always the conferences. Yes, I have the books. Do I read them? Some of them. Do I read all of them? No. (laughs) But uh, the conferences, I always come home with, gosh, notebooks just filled with information. Oh, I can't agree more because the very first American Fiction Writers conference I went to, I couldn't absorb as much information as they gave me. And that was really the start of my passion for writing. I actually went there and thought, well, do I really want to do this? Let me go see what it's all about. And I came home so psyched about the stories that were going over in my head. So I couldn't agree more. So tell us, what did you do with your very first book advance? Well, I have to tell you, I I just put it on marketing. I did, um, I had, I needed bookmarks and I needed a lot of different items. I, I also started going around and speaking in different groups. So I had motel bills to, to cover. I, I marketed my first book heavily. And then, you know, we were talking about the second book earlier. Uh, then I came back and realized, oh my gosh, I've used all this time in marketing. Now I need to sit down and write that second book. So I kind of gulped and thought, maybe I need to tone down the marketing and go back to the writing. But I did spend the money on getting my name out at that point. I have to tell you, though, the story that I started out as a freelance writer with magazine articles. And the first published piece I ever um, had was called Brat is Beautiful. It was about being an army brat. Uh, My dad was military and um, my husband and I lived in a small rural town in Northeast Missouri. And we were surrounded by folks who weren't um, as knowledgeable about the military life. So I wanted to just pin something about being an army brat. So I did, I think it was 300 words, sent it off to Mark. Army Magazine, and they published it. It was the biggest thrill of my life to have that published. And I got $30. So I bought a brass 
plant holder. And I had that for so long. And I always, whenever I looked at it, I was just so proud of that first piece that I had ever sold. So that <laughs> I did spend my first, my very first advance or, or payment on uh, uh, something that stayed in my home for a long time. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. You know, I, I bought a desk. <laughs> I bought did a you? desk. I did. I bought a well, desk. That's a good investment. You know, um, yes. I'd always wanted a nice writing desk, though. That was one of the very first things that I did with mine. So my next question is, what was an early experience where you learned that the that language had power? Well, you're making me go back again. <laughs> third grade. I was trying to think what it was, and it just stood out so clearly in third grade. We lived in Japan at the time. And I guess we had a little essay that we were supposed to write. And I presume we were allowed to pick our topic because mine was on trees and it was called The Tree. And it was um, a little piece that I wrote. And then I, I drew a picture of a tree at the top of it. But mine was selected from the whole class and put on the door. The door was a glass door. So the teacher taped it on the door and everybody could see it and it stayed there for quite a long time. And I felt so, I guess, proud. I really was proud that my writing had been considered good enough to, to be placed on the door. And I'll st I can still see it there from third grade. You know, it's, it's amazing. So I think that was the first time that I realized, oh, I think I like writing and this is what I want to do. Oh, Sounds silly, doesn't it? But no, you know, no, 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 not at all. Not at all. I don't remember a lot from third grade. So just that memory being embedded <laughs> in your, in your head from you know, third grade is amazing. So it must have been a pivotal part in your childhood to remember that. I think now they're doing such a good job in the schools, um, helping children to become uh, creative writers at a very young age, which is wonderful. I don't know if I had that background when I was going through school, but I love what they're doing now with English, because I think that positive affirmation at a young time can make the difference between a child. Uh, flourishing in a subject, especially writing and writing, you know, we need that no matter what we do in life, we need to be able to communicate through the written word. So I, I think uh, kudos to all the teachers and I have a daughter who's a teacher. I think they're fantastic and what they're doing is wonderful. Well, you know, my, I have a 10 year old granddaughter and um, she lives in Wisconsin and we chat on the phone every Sunday, we get together and just, you know, we video chat. And, you know, I'm, my question is, you know, what was the best subject in school this week? And what was your least favorite? And this week she told me, oh, oh, Gigi, I hate language arts. <laughs> And my heart just, my heart just sunk. I said, oh, but honey, you need language arts. I said, um, you may want to express yourself with written words someday. And she says, oh, Gigi, that's you, not me. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's, cute. <laughs> that's cute. But then now my other, my other granddaughter, who is 12, she loves to sit down and pen little stories. So, you know, she's already learned the importance of sentence structure and stuff. So watching young people come up and you're right, as the schools are teaching them how to construct a sentence and, and how to put a story together, a lot of girls or a lot of people, men and women, boys and girls, will find that they express themselves through words and um, language is powerful, no matter who you are or how old you are. It certainly is. There's no doubt about it. You can really um, change hearts. You can uh, sway people, hopefully for good, with uh, writing. And there's so many ways that it helps others and helps 
the person if they can put those words together and and do a good job in whatever they're trying to craft. So talking about crafting, tell us what is your favorite underappreciated novel? Well, I, I was thinking about this. I don't know that there's one that I've read that I get for you today, but I did think it, Donna Ball was a Georgia romance writer when I was just starting out. And she had a Harlequin Intrigue book. At that time, Love, Love Inspired wasn't out there. And really the Christian lines were very minimal. There, there weren't many Christian books that were in the bookstores. Uh, just a few sweet romances, but again, not many at all. It was more nonfiction when you got into the Christian books in those days. So I didn't have a Christian book to look at, but I did get this Harlequin intrigue because of the suspense and then the romance. And I, I knew that I wanted both of those elements in my stories. And I pulled her book apart. I read it three or four different times. I underlined, I highlighted, you know, that book was practically torn apart by the time I finished it. But I learned so much from it. And it it was um, a delightful story that had all the parts that I needed to learn about. And, and I did, I did learn so much from that story. So in the big scheme of things was her book, did her book get a lot of awards or anything? I I can't even remember if it did. I don't think it was um, necessarily the biggest bestseller she ever had. But for me, it was a very important book and really pivotal in my um, writing journey. That is interesting. Have you ever told her that? Well, she had moved from Georgia to Florida, and then I never saw her after. I had met her once at one of our GRW meetings, and then she moved after that. And then by the time that I was ready to get her, you know, her book came out. And then, so no, I have not seen her again. And I don't know if she's writing still or what. I should probably do a a search and see if I can find her again, because um, that book really was important to me. Do you still have it? Yes, I do. But I would try to find it uh, for today so I could pull it out. And uh, it's buried in my piles. You know, I don't know about you, Tracy, but I have piles of books books and boxes of books. (laughs) Everywhere. My husband will always say, you know, I'm going to give you um, a task. Every book you bring into the house, one has to leave. So no, (laughs) so that doesn't happen. I I typically don't show him when new books come into the house because nobody's going to take those away from me. And I cannot part with books. It is just Mm -hmm. like pulling teeth. If, if I have to, you know, if my, my space is getting overflowing, which it usually is. And I think, oh, I can give some of these to charity, you know, or something. Oh, it's just so difficult for me to do that. <laughs> I bet. I know. I, I sympathize with you because I, I go through the exact same thing. So when we're, when we're long dead and gone, our children will have to cart all these books <laughs> off to someplace. Well, they'll have lots to read, won't they? (laughs) They will. They will. So thank you so much for sharing a little bit about your writing career. And now I would love to talk about smugglers in Amish country. But before we do that, let me go ahead and just read your back matter so we can set the scene. Okay. Okay, great. All right. This is Smugglers in Amish Country from U.S. Day Today's bestselling author, Debbie Juiste. Uncovering secrets in this Amish town could deliver deadly consequences. When the robbery suspect she's tracking begins attacking delivery girls in Amish Country, Officer Marty Summers must go undercover as bait. 
With ex-cop Luke Lehman's niece as one of the targets, this case is personal. After all, Marty's rookie mistake ended with Luke injured and another officer dead. But can the two former colleagues stop a deadly smuggling ring before Marty becomes the next victim? Very intriguing, and let's Let's discuss it. So if you had to describe your main character and you can either describe Marty or Luke, what would be three words to describe them? Well, Marty Summers has, uh, was a rookie cop and she's just ended her first, her rookie year. So she's just come into her own in the police force. And um, then there's a, a shootout in Atlanta that the back story alludes to where there was a uh, one of the police officers, a female who was her mentor, was killed. And Luke, what the hero, was severely injured and has to leave the force because of the injury being so significant. So um, she is is trying to find, um, she has a clue to who she thinks um, was involved with this shootout. And her um, superiors don't think that the clue that she has has anything to do with it at all. And so they want, they don't want her to be investigating the case. So I have for Marty, I committed, courageous and compassionate. She's committed to track down this villain. She's courageous because she puts herself in danger in order to protect the Amish girls in this small community. And she's compassionate because she uh, grew up without a mother. So she is very um, nurturing and loving. And she knows what some of these young girls, especially Luke's niece, he is now the guardian for um, Ella, a teenage girl, his niece, when his sister and brother-in-law died in a buggy accident. So he's the guardian for Ella and then her younger sister and brother. So all this compassion that she has for this young teen who's trying to get through this difficult year with mom and dad just passing and then having this macho uncle Luke come in to try to take care of them. So there's a, a lot of chemistry that goes on and a lot of conflict in that story. But Marty's compassion certainly comes through at, at every level in the story. And real quick, um, what about Luke? What do, you, what do you think we could say about Luke? Again, underneath, you know, he's stumbling his way through being a guardian. And yet, um, by the end of the story, of course, we know that there's going to be a happily ever after. He really finds out a lot about himself and um, where he needs to be. He had left the Amish community in his youth and had gone uh, into police work and had done well in it. And then, of course, this injury sets him back. So he comes back to the Amish world and he has to find his way in it. And that's where that faith element really comes in with that um, decision that he has to make, whether does he want to stay within the Amish community as he gives it another look and realizes that the goodness that's there and the, the sense of community, the the um, the faith element that's so strong within the Amish community. So he has his own struggle about where where he should be in the future, whether he needs to stay there or move on or try to go back to the English world. Wonderful. So tell us, um, where did you set the setting for this particular story? It's in the North Georgia mountains. A lot of my stories are set there for the Amish. I love the environment. My, I had two children who went to school in the North Georgia mountains. It's a beautiful 
uh, country, uh, not as populated, of course, as where I live in the Atlanta area. And, and so that rural setting, I love the mountains, um, the lakes, it, it just for me, it's the perfect setting with little farms, you know, nestled in the valleys. And I, I just think there's a lot to pull from in that with that um, mountain atmosphere. And uh, so I love putting the, the Amish there. It is a fictional Amish communities that are in the North Georgia mountains. Georgia only has one Mennonite community, which is in Macon, which is further south from Atlanta, and that's the only one in our area. It's not, not too far into Tennessee, in Etheridge, Tennessee, there's a quite a significant Amish community there. And that's about, oh, for me, it's about a three-hour, maybe four-hour drive for me to get up there. Yeah, there, there are not any Amish communities here in South Carolina either, but there are quite a few. I live in a, a Mennonite area, um, and we do have quite a few Mennonite here and um, in uh, maybe like an hour uh, west or east of me, there, there is another Mennonite. Um, actually, my husband and I attended a Mennonite church for five years, and it was oh, so... Did you? Yes, we did. Um, one of my best friends um, was Mennonite, and we just fell in love with the people there and the, the sense of community there. And it wasn't until we moved an hour away that, you know, we then found a non-denominational church to attend. But um, Mm -hmm. some of my dearest friends are Mennonites and they just have a sense of peace about them. And and not all, you know, I know that they have just as many problems as the rest of the world does, but they definitely put their faith in the Lord and their worries and their troubles, they go to him first. And I just, you can sense that when you're around them, you just, you just can. So I love writing about the Amish and the Mennonite because of that. So I think that home is so important with family, um, the faith, just the peace that's there without the outside world coming in, which so often in the English families that can pull a family apart, you know, with the kids going different activities and all of it good, but yet that can kind of split the family at times unless mom and dad are really careful to pull that family and keep them nice and close. But I I do think, as you say, the Amish and the Mennonite, that sense of uh, family and love and faith, I think it's so prominent. And that's what I really like to uh, showcase in my stories as well, how that home makes a difference. When my characters who are not Amish walk into that Amish home, they can feel it. You know, there is something different here. And often they're, they want to, they're searching for it. And then they realize that once they embrace that faith and that they found what they've always been looking for. Exactly. You know, there are so many people out there that are so intrigued by the Amish culture. And, you know, you see on social media, everybody, you know, how do I become Amish or whatever? And it's not becoming Amish. It's finding, like you said, it's finding home. It's finding peace. It's finding a relationship with Jesus. That's what they see. That's what's so intriguing is that these people put their faith before anything else. And as soon as people find that and realize that they realize they can have what everybody else has. They just have to look for it in the right spots. That's right. (laughs) That's right. So in smugglers in Amish country, is there anything or was there anything that you had to edit out of this book? Yes. <laughs> I wrote the prologue, which was this uh, shooting incident in Atlanta. And uh, my editor is not big on prologues. And I understand her rationale. 
but I had um, thought that that was an important place to start this story. But she said, no, let's start it. Let's cut that. And we'll start it when Marty Summers, my heroine, is following this uh, villain who she spotted. She, he's in the same type of a, a truck. It's a pool and spa truck. He's a pool cleaner. And uh, so she spotted him and she's followed him up the mountain into this Amish community. And that's where the book starts. Actually, my editor always knows what's best. And it was, you know, it was much better. People did not need the scene in Atlanta to be able to pull, be pulled into the story. So I think a lot of us like prologues, but um, the story really begins where, where my editor told me. It. And that's why I listened to her. And I'm so blessed to have her. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. So what do you hope your readers will take away from this story? Well, I think it's important to be true to yourself, to be true first to God and then true to yourself. And then just as we've been talking, then you find peace and happiness, whether you're, you're in an Amish home or an English home, where, no matter where you are, if you, if you can be your own person, turn your life over to God. So calling out to him for your needs and, and thanking him for all the gifts. I think thanks is so important, right? He told us um, that we need to, to thank when one person who was healed, the leper came back and, and he said, where are the others? You know, they, they had just kept going, but this one came back and offered thanks. So I think that's the takeaway for the, the story that my heroine had to learn that, that she had an innate worth because God had created her and God loved her. She was always trying to earn her father's love, but she didn't realize that she always had her heavenly father's love. She had turned her back somewhat on God. So that's a, was an important lesson for her. And then she, she knows then once she knows that she's loved by God, that she finds herself and who she really is and, and um, becomes a stronger person and has that peace and happiness that, and is able to find love then. Exactly. And, you know, that's exactly what we spoke about earlier in the podcast that, you know, if people read our stories and they can relate to how this person, you know, worked through whatever struggle they are, if they find that peace or they turn to God, you know, if they can take away just that little tiny bit of information or a little bit of the storyline and apply it to their own lives. And I feel as a writer, I have done what God has asked me to do. And it sounds exactly the same way as how you described what you want your readers to take away from, from your books as well. Yes, uh, definitely. Uh, forgiveness also plays a big role in my stories because I think so often there are things in our past and they can be somewhat insignificant, but yet we, we can't forgive ourselves for the mistake we made, whatever it may be. Some people have very large mistakes and um, they struggle with those and others of us, as I said, just might have smaller mistakes or maybe a lot of smaller mistakes that we've made and we see a pattern that we're not happy with, whatever it might be. But I think that forgiveness be able to realize that when we ask forgiveness of the Lord, that he does forgive us. And then I think we have to be able to forgive ourselves, which is sometimes very, very difficult for people to do, but it yet is. growth comes from it. And, and only then can we really be free of that past and be able to live in the present where we're supposed to live and then also have hope for the future. Oh, that was the perfect way to put that. Thank you. Thank you. So that takes us into your story. Can you read us your first page or a pivotal scene that um, you'd like to share with us? Well, I thought I'd, and we've talked a lot about the beginning of the book so that there has been this event in Atlanta that caused the death of one of the officers. And then our 
hero, my hero, Luke Lehman has been uh, injured. So he's now, well, of course my heroine doesn't know it, but he's taking care of his nieces and nephews. So the niece is um, when the book opens, my heroine has been chasing this pool truck into the North Georgia mountains to a very upscale uh, community on a lake. And that the, the villain has actually accosted the young girl, his uh, Luke's niece in the pool area. She's gone there to retrieve a tote bag. Nobody knows at this point what's in that tote bag, but she's got the tote bag in arms and then the villain pulls a gun on her and my heroine then comes after him and, and he gets her gun and he, he tries to shoot her and she runs, grabs the girl. And so they, they're fleeing. So I thought I'd pick up as they're in the car and they're, well, they've just pulled off the road because um, they see his headlights, he's behind them and they're trying to um, hide in the woods from him. So she, Marty's been out watching, he's driven by, so she feels like they're fairly safe at this point. So she gets back in the car. She said, the driver didn't see us turn onto this road, she said, slipping behind the wheel. Chances are he'll come back once he realizes we outsmarted him. We need a safe place in which to hold up until I can notify law enforcement. The girl hesitated. My, my house is not far. You can park in the barn. You're Amish, right? The girl nodded, yeah. I'm Marty Summers, what's your name? Ella, no last name, but she'd accept what the girl offered. She patted the teen's slender forearm and felt her tremble. Everything's going to be okay, Ella. Except a guy who had tried to kill both of them was on the loose in a mountainous area of Georgia and Ella could identify him. So it wasn't good and the girl was definitely in danger. Marty's gut tightened as she pulled back onto the bumpy road. From what she'd heard, the Amish didn't want law enforcement involved in their business, but questions needed to be asked. The girl seemed to be holding herself together, although just barely. Ella, why were you at the lake house? Marty kept her voice level and calm. The girl acted as if she hadn't heard the question, then pointed to another road. Turn there. Our house is not far ahead on the left. After she made the turn, Marty's heart pounded a warning when headlights appeared once again behind them. If it was the pool guy, it hadn't taken long for him to double back to the rural road. A two-story farmhouse came into view. Marty pulled into the dirt drive and slowed to a stop near the barn. Ella hopped from the car, tote in hand, and opened the double doors. Marty guided her Nissan into the dark interior Together, she and Ella closed the barn doors and ran to the house. A faint light glowed in a downstairs window. The girl hurried inside. Marty remained on the porch, hidden in the darkness, her heart pounding. The headlights raced along the road. Once the truck passed by, she let out the breath she was holding and entered the house. The girl had placed her tote on the kitchen counter and stood near the sink. Her lower lip quivered and tears welled up in her pretty brown eyes. It's okay, Marty tried to reassure the team. He's gone. He didn't notice your farm. You're safe here at home. At least she hoped Ella was safe. The girl dropped her head in her hands and started to cry. Marty's heart went out to the team. Her gut-wrenching sobs cut into her heart. Without thinking, she reached for Ella and pulled her into her arms. Everything's going to be okay. Marty patted her shoulder and closed her eyes, remembering her own youth 
She cried herself to sleep too many nights, wishing for a mother's embrace to offer comfort. You're safe, Ella, she soothed again. The floorboard creaked behind them. The girl tensed and pulled out of Marty's hold. Her face was splotched from crying. She sniffed, bit her lip, and wiped a hand over her moist cheeks. Marty followed her gaze to the hallway as footsteps neared. The light from the oil lamp flickered. Marty narrowed her gaze, anticipating an angry Amish father who would question Marty's presence. She drew in a deep breath as a man appeared in the shadowed hallway. The sleeves of his shirt were rolled up, exposing muscular arms and large hands, currently fisted, signaling danger, she feared. Suspenders held up his pants. He limped forward and stepped into the light. Black hair curled over his ears and a thick growth of facial hair ringed his square jaw. He had dark eyes, brows raised in question, and full lips pulled into a disapproving frown. Marty's heart lurched and confusion swept over her. Luke? So that's when she finds out that Luke is there with Ella, the girl she's saved from the villain, who is the pool guy. So, and the story begins. <laughs> oh, that was a wonderful introduction. And I so want to read more. Thank you so much for sharing that. You really, you have a word, you have a way with descriptive words. So I really enjoyed that. You oh, did, thank you, you did a fine, you did a fine job, a fine job. Thank you so much. So, so thank you. And tell us, what are you working on right now? Well, I just submitted in a sniper's crosshairs, and that's my next book. It'll be out this fall in October. It's a Christmas story, actually, and I had a great time writing it. There's a big Christmas lodge that sits on a hill and has a lake in front of it, and it's part of the setting of the story. So that was um, fun to write and to pull those parts together. And of course, it's Amish and the English and uh, danger and a sniper, as you can imagine from the title. So that will come out, as I said, in October. I also have a two-in-one that comes out in June. And a two-in-one for anyone in your audience who doesn't know that term is when um, the publishers will put two of my books together and release them as one Uh, one book to buy with two stories. So it's a great deal for the readers. It comes out in June and it's military protector. So this is part, these stories are part of my military series that I did before I started writing my Amish stories. So if anybody likes military, um, know that that will be out in June called Military Protectors. It's got a great cover. I think our art department, Love Inspired, always does a wonderful job. Uh, So those are the two things that I'm doing now. Then, as I mentioned, I'm just starting that next book, which will be probably in the spring of 23. My goodness, time passes, doesn't it? (laughs) It does. It does. And we'll get you back on the buggy talk for your fall release. That's an Amish one. So we will um, we will get you back on. Our listeners are really enjoying these Boogie Talk podcasts, so it really gives them a chance to hear in depth about some of their favorite authors and some of the new books that are up and coming. So thank you for sharing. So before we turn to our fun rant round that I do with each of our interviews, is there anything you'd like to say to your particular readers? Well, I just want to thank them, as I always do, for their support and their encouragement. You know, as writers, we wouldn't be writing if we didn't have readers. I mean, we, we might write a story for ourselves, but 
we really write them for the readers so that other people can enjoy them. And then uh, it's always wonderful getting emails or texts or Facebook. I'm very active on Facebook, so I hope some of the readers will follow me there. I also have a blog site spot that's called uh, seekerville.com. There are 13 Christian authors. We've been blogging now for years and years. I think we're in our, oh, I don't know, 13th, 14th year now. And we always are talking about Christian fiction. So it's a great site for those who would like to write or who are writing. But it's also, we have a lot of readers that come and they enjoy, just like you share here, Tracy, that you get those behind the scenes stories about the authors and how they put their stories together. The same with our Seekerville blog, we do that. And in in conjunction with Seekerville, then I always post on Sunday, the Sunday scripture and prayer requests. So anyone who does have a prayer need, you can come to the blog that day and leave it. You don't have to, you can be very in specific about what it is, you know, just a general prayer need, or you can say, be specific about it and, and tell exactly what you'd like prayer for. I also repost that on Facebook. So a lot of people stop by Facebook on Sunday, and we'll leave a prayer need uh, for us. And then this whole community of blog uh, bloggers that join us, and we have a large support group, they'll all come and they'll be praying for those same needs. So if you do need prayer, think about that on a Sunday, come to Seekerville. It's always a fun spot. We have virtual coffee usually, sometimes goodies too. And um, then follow me on Facebook. And again, just so grateful for all the readers and their support means so much to me. I'm always touched. I'm honored. You know, it's kind of a pinch me. Am I really doing this? And people want to buy my books. I'm just always humbled. I'm really humbled by it. It's just fantastic. And and I am, again, as I've said, so grateful. And I'm grateful to you for having me today. This is lovely. Podcasts are wonderful. Yeah, well, thank you so much. And the Seekerville sounds very interesting. And what a great ministry you are are doing for so many people. So thank you. So here we go. You like um, we've done before. I love to do a little speed round. I'm just going to ask you three questions. Crazy, silly questions don't have a thing to do with writing or Amish fiction or anything like that. Just a little bit to get to know you a little bit more. So are you ready? I'm ready. I'm a little nervous. Oh, no, don't need to be nervous. First question, polka dots or stripes? Oh, stripes. Ooh. Okay. And second question, what was your favorite 70s or 80s show? Oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. You got me now. I can't even think of any. That's okay. Mind back. That's all right. I asked Shelly Shepard Gray to say something cool <laughs> and, and, the, and the line went dead silent. It's like, <laughs> oh, I don't know. So I love, I love giving just little questions that you really have to stop and, and uh, examine yourself. So, okay. Question number three, which is really easy. What type of milk do you put on your cereal? Uh, low fat. Oh, there we go. See, so that was painless, right? 
That was. <laughs> that was. And now all day long, you'd be thinking, what was a television show from the 70s or 80s? So that'll, that'll be on your mind all day long. I'm going to have to ask the kids, what were we watching back then? Probably a show <laughs> they liked, you know? Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, Debbie, I want to thank you for spending time with us this week. And I look forward to hearing more about your future projects. And we will have you back on the Buggy Talk podcast this fall for your next Amish fiction release. And that wraps up this episode. And I encourage all of you listeners to visit my website at tracyfredikowski.com to see a complete list of some of your favorite Amish fiction authors podcasts and all the great books they add to the Amish landscape. And to all you listeners, if you want to pick up a copy of Smugglers in Amish Country, look for the link in the show notes of this episode that you can find on my website at tracyfredikowski.com. And I know that's really hard to spell, so I've made it easier for you. And you can also go to buggytalkpodcast.com. There you'll find a complete list of some of your favorite Amish fiction authors and all the great books they add to the Amish landscape. To end this episode, if you want more information on my latest release, which is Rebecca's Amish Heart Restored, or any other stories that I weave around my fictitious town of Willow Springs, I invite you to visit tracysamishbooks.com. That's Tracy with a Y at tracysamishbooks.com.